This interview is part of Energy Intersections, a thought leadership campaign produced by FT Longitude in collaboration with PwC. Climate finance has increased at a cumulative average annual growth rate of about 7%. But I think what that does not show you is that current levels of increase are unfortunately not on track to meet at 1.5 degrees Celsius or like one of the, the internationally agreed uh, temperature uh, scenario. And what we need to make happen is to really ensure that we get to scale very quickly. So just looking at the latest information, we need an increase of at least 590% or 4.3 trillion in annual finance flows by 2030 in order to really meet the internationally agreed climate objective and avoid the most dangerous impacts of climate change. Dr. Barbara Buchner is a leading voice in global energy transition finance. With experience advising leaders on climate, energy, and land use investments around the world, Barbara was named one of the 20 most influential women in climate change by the International Council for Science. Today, Barbara combines her finance and policy expertise as Global Managing Director of the Climate Policy Initiative, an independent, not-for-profit organization that helps governments, businesses, and financial institutions drive economic growth while addressing climate change. Barbara also directs the Global Innovation Lab for Climate Finance, which has mobilized over 3.3 billion US dollars for action on climate change and sustainable development. I'm Megan Wright, and I'm delighted to have Barbara joining me today. Has the energy security crisis in Europe impacted on how you're advising governments, businesses, and financial institutions on their transition strategies? I think the business case remains the same. The, the transition might look a little different. So we need to be realistic and uh, realizing that in the short term, we will be maybe using more of some of the traditional energy sources because we obviously need to put people at the center and make sure that we are having a just and sustainable energy transition. The average cost of, of really climate action, but not only climate action, of really a real transition of energy security and energy access is just lower by, by really kind of focusing on opportunities that we see of renewable energy and clean energy more generally. So while there is a, you know, there might be a, a short term kind of implication, I think ultimately the energy security crisis makes our overarching argument and the approach even stronger. And actually, natural resource-rich countries are now experiencing windfall profits from oil and gas again. The IEA just said that we'll see peak oil in this decade. So is this a last chance to make the most out of oil? Are oil-rich countries effectively reinvesting profits in the energy transition? We really need to have better transparency and disclosure of, of all that is going on at the moment and then really making sure that you are coming up with revenue models that really ensure that, you know, whatever profits there are, are actually going back to more investments in research and development on the clean energy side. So I think the point on red just being much more transparent and having a much better understanding of where, you know, how financial institutions and governments are, are currently basically 
both factoring and disclosing, you know, climate related transition and phys- physical risks, but then also how their investments and the overall portfolios are aligned with specific sustainable development goals. Um, and, you know, using taxonomies that, that are already existing or kind of using developing those for the specific regional needs. It's really the whole financial ecosystem that needs just to be stepping up and being better on, on uh, being transparent and being clearer on how there can be implementing some measures that are addressing the, the risks or like better balancing or manage some of the risks. Do you think then we need to be more realistic about the necessity of using fossil fuels in the near term to that point you just raised, or perhaps about how quick the transition can actually be, even if everything does go right? Well, I think we do need to acknowledge that there is, uh, you know, a, a little bump in the road. Um, again, I do think having this focus on people, having this focus on a just transition is extremely important. So I think we need to be, yes, realistic just to acknowledge, uh, you know, we will not be able to change our, all our energy system, you know, within the next year or so. But I think we can really put in place a plan and these clear milestones to make, you know, everyone basically accountable for getting towards the transformation still in the fastest way possible. And I think, you know, another piece of the solution here is about how can we better use domestic capital. So I think half half the financing that is needed at the moment for an energy transition in emerging and developing countries could come from domestic resource mobilization. And that would, you know, require incremental public resource um, mobilization efforts of which are relatively small compared to them the, the GDP of these countries it's less than three percent the FT recently reported that between 2019 and 2021 there were only 14 billion dollars of so-called climate blended finance deals so structured deals that use public money to de-risk green investments for poor countries. How do you think governments can help to de-risk large energy infrastructure projects or new energy technologies? I think public funding for clean energy innovation plays plays really a crucial role in helping new technologies. I think there are a lot of needs to to kind of cross the value of death between prototype stage, so where there's very high investment risk, to early uh, commercialization where there's lower investment risk until really the private markets can take off. So this funding from the public sector, I think, could be of help to ensure that the startups have enough working capital to, to continue their their development. Uh, but also, we really see that grants for small demonstration pilots or even like public-private partnerships for first-of-a-kind large projects like the infrastructure projects that you mentioned could be really important. So risk sharing and really managing the risk in the best way to, to really allocate the risks to the ones who can take them on depending on their particular type of capital, I think is just uh, really important. So I think their uh, public funding uh, will be key just to drive this this next phase of, of innovative technologies and really help in a way also kind of build the capacity in emerging and developing countries. So, so really kind of have more of a focus on on technical assistance and making sure that there uh, are, you know, the right project developers or entrepreneurs that then can really focus more also on the domestic capital mobilization um, that I managed. So uh, I think you mentioned also planet finance. I think um, 
scaling up of spending that needs to happen is certainly unprecedented, but I think it's feasible through strategies like, you know, there's one called like the grant match finance strategy where you basically have ambitious investment programs, but they're supported by robust policy frameworks and a balanced mix of both domestic and international finance. So, so really thinking about how can you work together um, these different types of financiers across uh, the ecosystem and use public finance, both international one, but also domestic one, most effectively to, to really take on basically the, the right types of barriers um, and really ensure that you create the enabling environment in country and you build the market knowledge and expertise in country that can then really enable a transformation of the energy markets. Thinking then about all those different organizations and sectors that you work with, as well as your experience obviously mobilizing across borders, what do you think are the biggest blockers to action today when it comes to driving the policy change that's really needed? The climate finance growth outlook, I think, is positive, but there's major differences between where the investments are needed and where they're flowing at the moment. And I think the key barrier uh, that we have seen uh, is while there is this significant potential to develop clean energy in emerging markets, their cost of capital for clean energy projects is very high due to a number of real but also uh, perceived investment risks. And, uh, you know, there include political risk of specific countries, but um, actually very often also across the board, they include uh, foreign exchange risk as very often some of these, um, the, the larger projects in particular are, are still done in hard currencies like in US dollars, uh, but then paid back in, in local currencies. Um, but they also, you know, include credit risks. So, so just, um, you know, as, as, as some more concrete information here, the cost of capital for solar PV projects in 2021 in emerging and, and developing markets is on average at least two to three times higher than in advanced economies and it can be up to seven times as high. And, and that obviously is a huge key barrier just to, to really getting to scale mm. quickly. And, um, and you know, that, that is a problem. Thinking about the next decade ahead then, how do you see this playing out over the coming 10 years? I think it's a challenge, but also it's a huge opportunity for investors to really kind of scale up um, their action on clean energy, on climate. And I think um, hopefully that is something that we can demonstrate more. And um, I think we all uh, see just energy, uh, renewable energy investment, clean energy, just um, as the clearest path towards most of the, the, the issues and the domestic agendas, such as price stability, energy independence and energy access that I think the current energy crisis certainly has highlighted more. Absolutely. Barbara, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you so much, Megan. Uh, always a pleasure talking to you. And uh, thank you for putting uh, you know, the attention on these issues. This interview is part of Energy Intersections, a thought leadership campaign produced by FT Longitude in collaboration with PwC.